there, I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. My guest on Aging Fearlessly today is Christine Greeno. Christine, I was introduced to you recently and I'm fascinated because you are a storyteller. That's correct, I am. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, yes, well, I've been acting for many, many years, since probably early, early to late teens, um, I've been acting on and off. I also direct and oh. produce. I'm a co-producer. I've acted in England and around Australia, mainly theatre, but uh, I do do some film, some TV, and I haven't given that up. It's still in, it's still there. It's still there. Well, it's I don't think there. anyone ever really gives it up, do they? No, you never retire from that. No, because sometimes roles just come your way and it fits perfectly with your time in, the li- in life. Yes, I still do uh, auditions. Um, any auditions that come up, I, I will put my name forward, uh, do a little piece for them. Um, sometimes I get it, mostly I don't, but, it, you know, you've got to keep trying. you just yeah. got to keep trying. Well, it is. It's, you know, you've got to keep yourself out there and um, up to date with everything. I always used to joke, Christine, that I'd probably, if I ever got a role, it'd be like tampons or something. Be, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be anything exotic. It'd be like, and, and I, we used to joke about that all the time for a couple of my friends and I. You know, you, you want this glamorous role with doing some clothing shoots or something, but no, it'd be something unglamorous. Yes. I played Bucky Beaver for a long time when I lived in Adelaide for a while and Bucky Beaver, which was the Ipana toothpaste. Yes. And they asked me to play Bucky, which was horrendous really, because we did shopping centres and oh. and this huge head. Oh. I lost a lot of weight, which was lovely. That was the only sort of upside of and it. And they take you in and out of those costumes pretty quickly with time restrictions yes. that you're allowed yes. to be in. You're only allowed in them for about five to ten minutes. I guess with storytelling, and this is what fascinates me because, as you know, I just created and I'm now producing Story Room, which is Mm. the first one is Story Room Manly, which is a live event. And the first event was the 4th of March. And they have gone on hold, which gives me time to think again and breathe again and build it up and have another launch. Mm. Tell me about storytelling and how you got into storytelling. Well, I did a lot of uh, pantomime and um, uh, in some of the pantomimes I did, we did Pinocchio, Hansel and Gretel. Um, And in Hansel and Gretel, I I was the narrator, the storyteller. And I just happened to mention to a friend, oh, 
I just love this storytelling, this idea of being able to get up and and talk to an audience and and carry them through on a journey. And they and she happened to say, well, do you know that there is a a, a storytelling guild? Um, in Sydney and so I went along and had a look and and they were doing some workshops upskilling storytellers and a lot of them were telling stories and I thought this is just fantastic this is yeah. just what I want and I come from a an industry where you work together you work together as a team and to actually tell by yourself which is really quite frightening yeah and uh their mantra the um australian storytelling guild or the storytellers new south wales their their mantra is telling stories face to face eye to eye heart to heart so you can actually sort of look at the faces and understand what's carrying them what interests them what excites them and you tell them eye to eye. So you look them in the face and say, hi, I'm a storyteller and, and I'm going to take you on a journey. And hopefully in, um, in the audience that would hit their heart and just the joy I see from people, just the joy I see with the children actually um, being fascinated by a story. Well, I started off as a, as a children's teller Mm. And and then I formed my own company called The Tail Spinners. And I read about that in your bio, yeah. Yes. And I worked with a fellow storyteller, Sue Alvarez, who actually is a, is a manly um, resident. And uh, we started off telling uh, stories to children. We did a, our very first one was an absolute disaster because we worked on it and it was for uh, daycare children. Um, so they weren't, I don't think they were even five. And we had, we had created this whole hour story of Cinderella. And they had an attention span of two minutes? After about two minutes, they, they <laughs> disappeared on us. You know, yep. we suddenly realised that we have to know and understand our audience. That was a big lesson for us. I, guess I, mean, that's why I, I know the daycare teachers reluctantly gave us our money and never invited us back. When we first started, it was a learning curve. Just as when we started to tell stories to seniors, um, and especially with people with dementia, we had to research that because we made those, we again made the mistake of going to a, a retirement village and telling them all these Australian stories. We thought well, they would love it. Yeah. You know, Henry Lawson, and, and even though they understood stood it to a certain extent, their, their attention span is like the children. You know, even in business, I think a lot of businesses aren't relating these days to the right audience and attracting yeah. the right audience and, you know, doing your research, as you said, going in and telling stories to kids under five that have an attention span of two minutes, if that in some cases, and learning to adapt your stories to be able to keep their attention and engage them. Hmm. And then you say the same with the seniors. And I was reading in your bio about you doing um, storytelling to seniors because with ageing fearlessly, I mean, I'm trying to engage people to live a better life. 
and, uh, you know, by inspiring them and motivating them. But, you know, you're going in telling stories and, and finding that to inspire them, to motivate them and to keep them interested isn't easy. So how did you do that? Well, we did go into research. What did seniors, what did older people, what could they relate to? Well, they related to what their life was. They related to stories that we started to tell them about the ordinary and the everyday. So we would talk about washing. We would ask the question, when did you wash? And everybody would say Monday because it was, Monday was the washing day. So we then would, we would tell the stories about the experiences that we had of being a bit naive when we first got married and knowing and going out and living in the country and knowing that when you washed, you, you also had to starch and you didn't know how much you starched. And so when you got to the long johns of your husband, you starched so much that he couldn't walk. And those sort of things, just to amuse them, it was sort of validating that this is what we did in the old I'm of an age where I probably just missed out on that but I know about all that I know about washing on Monday and how everybody washed and how they put it out on the line and and um use starch use records blue so there were things that they could recognize and we actually had all those props with us we would talk about um Instead of, uh, what, what's the thing, the, um, the old ringer? Oh, gosh. The ringer. And can where, I go and I mean, get I my, remember that. You can I go and get my mum out of the other room? She's 92. We had a ringer. Yes. Well, so did we. Yeah. I'll just bring her in. Okay. <laughs> and she'll know. She'll know. And those sort of things. And going shopping. It's amazing when you start to talk about going shopping, the department stores that are no longer, the Gowings that are no longer there. Grace Brothers, no longer there, even though that's Myers. Well, you know, that's starting to sort of disappear on us too. Uh, Knock and Kirby. So people would come, the audience would then get engaged and tell us stories. Mark Foy's with those beautiful steps that's now the Downing Street Court. Yes. I, oh, yes. I love going to Mark Foy's with Mark. I know. I know. that. So, you know, all those things. And so what we did was validate those those things, those memories for them, and you would, what happened in, certainly in nursing homes, um, people would say, oh, I remember doing that. So they would start to, to um, react to us. And, the, and the, um, the diversional therapist would say, you know, Mrs. So-and-so, who's, who told you about X, Y, and Z, she hasn't talked since she's been here. So this is something that's really interesting, and you have probably come across this. My mum's long-term memory, back to talking about when she was five and she, in 1932, is as sharp as. Yeah. But yeah. she can ask me ten times a day what day of the week it is. Yes. And so that short-term memory is the one that they a lot of people struggle with. Yes. And you're taking them back to something they do remember and so what a great experience yeah. for them. Yeah. And it, and it was, it's, it's lovely. So we started to tour it around. So we, we carried lots and lots and lots of props. What were your props? We, oh, we had, um, well, we had the records blue. We had the starch. 
we had the old irons that we used to, um, you know, use. We had um, for shopping, how, and then I would I would get dressed up in the hat and the gloves, oh. and to, and open my bag and bring out a penny because you used to go and spend a penny when you went oh, to the department yes. stores. You used to put the penny in. So we had all those things. Um, and then we talked about going to the movies. So I would tell them about my favourite, when I was little, my favourite actress was, and it was like a quiz. So I'd put the, the song on and it's on the good ship, lolly. And someone would say, um, you know, uh, I would put my hat, I would put some hair on with curls. And they'd oh. say, oh, as soon as I put them on, they'd say, uh, oh, it's Shirley Temple. And I'd say, do you mind? I haven't even done my act yet. Just hold off, you know. And then we do, uh, then I said, well, as I grew older, my favourite actress was someone who wore uh, big picture hats with lots of feathers and an hourglass figure and big boobs. And Sue would say, well, you've got the big boobs, but your hourglass figure's gone a bit. <laughs> so we would put uh, corsets on and, and do that. So we just sort of entertain them with those sort of stories. And they would come up with stories themselves. Yeah. And, was, and sometimes when, when the audience, there were in the audience people with dementia, you could just see the window of opportunity opening up just before it went closed down again. It was like the woman who had been there for a year and hadn't spoken. It was just triggering things for them and singing songs that they would remember. We would talk about the war. We would talk about rationing books. Oh, we talked about um, the dunny down the back, things that they would remember. And they would come up with stories, and some of the stories were so fantastic that we incorporated them into our show. That's a brilliant tool for researching, isn't it? Just going in there and having those conversations and doing a show and then, yeah. you know them engaging back with you. And I can I can imagine that you left the audience, a lot of the members of the audience, just with such wonderful, joyful memories. Well, hopefully we did. And I think we did do it in, in a lot of cases. And as, as I said, we toured it. I can remember we talked, we were, I think it was somewhere up the uh, North Coast. Can't remember where we were. And we were talking about shopping and Gowings and everything. And, and someone said, oh, my dad worked at Gowings. And the woman beside her said, so did mine. And all of a sudden they found something that they had in common. They probably yeah. never spoke to each other. Yeah. Mind you, there were times when, when we did another show, I can remember, and we did, hello, everybody, my name's Christine, you know, we're the tail spinners, and this is Sue, how do you do And there was a guy in the front and said, he just said, oh, I just want to die. <laughs> and I said to him, well, could you wait for another, another hour? Because we haven't started our show. <laughs> <laughs> How did you react to that? He just went, oh. and, and there were another time when, when we were chatting away and doing our, our stories, doing our songs, and one woman turned around and said, oh, I wish you would just shut up. And uh, we said, well, uh, you know, just give us another 15 minutes and, and we'll be out of your hair. Actually, you've just triggered a thought in me. I did a, a, a talk about four years ago, an event, and 
whatever I said, uh, whatever I was referring to, you know, it was a big, something big, a big job that I had to do or whatever. And, and I thought, I've just got to do it. You know, it's how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Would you be offended by that? A woman came up to me then and said, I nearly walked out when you said that. That was just disgusting that you referred to eating an elephant. And I went, oh, okay, I'm really sorry. You know, there was 200 odd people in the room and you have one person comes up and tells you that and you think, Karen, get over yourself because you're always going to have someone in an audience that doesn't agree or doesn't like or you've triggered something in them. So just like you were talking about that fellow, I just want to die. You know, this woman didn't like me, you know, using a metaphor of eating an elephant. Oh, well. Oh, dear. Can't please everybody. That's what, you know. Yeah. You know, uh, we did that for nearly 20 years and through uh, up to to Queensland, to South Australia, to to Victoria. It was just, it was lovely. Sometimes it was hard. It wasn't always beer and Skittles. Sometimes it was very hard to, to engage them. But I would say 97% were fantastic. Christine, when you're telling stories to children under five, do you go into a room and tell several stories or do you just keep it really short? What what do you do in that case? Well, usually if it's at a, a kindy or a daycare centre or even at the school, for the littlies, I do probably a 20-minute show and there will be different stories and little chat in between. I use a lot of puppets and a lot of props for, the, for, for them. And as the children, they're older, then the stories get a bit more complicated. Probably for the older children of about, say, six to ten, seven, probably seven to ten, I would do a 45-minute show. Mm. for them because they can cope with those stories yeah we try and make it around a theme and, and depends on what the school wants yeah. so we find out exactly what they want what, what sort of uh subject are they studying um so uh if it's if it's sort of a cultural one uh stories from around the world how other uh, cultures um live or for the little ones, probably wouldn't last more than four to five minutes, a story. Uh, with the older ones, we could go for 10 minutes. So tell me, what, what are the elements that make a great story? Well, it's hard to say, really, because it, uh, what makes a great story for me probably might make, not make a great story. So, uh, so that's why uh, our programs are mixed and we mix it up a lot because what would interest one person may not interest another. Yeah. But I think the thing in telling a story, you, the teller, has to love the story. Yeah. Because otherwise you can't tell it well. So you've got to love the idea of the story. So I've got millions of stories that I adore and I love and I tell a lot, which may not be uh, suit another teller. They'd say, well, that doesn't, that doesn't interest me. That story doesn't interest me. But this type of story does. Yeah. I love the stories that have a bit of a, for the children, to have a bit of a, um, a moral to it or a lesson to learn from yes. it. The, the Indigenous stories are fabulous 
in the, in the respect that most of those uh, indigenous stories, the creation stories, are stories for children with have, which have a lot of lessons in it. Mm. That probably we don't know all the lessons, but we can see some of them falling out. When I was a teacher, I often once a week used to do a dream, you know, read a dream time story to the kids because it explains so much about creation, as you say. And my first storytelling event in Manly, I had a brilliant storyteller, Dr. Vanessa Lee Amit, who told a story that she wrote. And it was from the, her, her years growing up in the Torres Strait Islands. And it was about fishing and silence. You could have heard a pin drop. Yeah. yeah. And her voice and the, the audience was just staring at her, watching, listening. And I was watching her, then watching the audience. And it was just, they were transfixed, you know, like they were just yeah. there in the moment. It was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I can, uh, you'll be able to get that online shortly to listen to it. Oh, good. It yes, was, I'd um, like to listen to it. Yeah, and your friend Steph as well. They're yeah. all oh, good. They're going yes. to be available this week so to listen to. So when I was choosing her as a storyteller, I was looking for an Indigenous storyteller to open the show because I really wanted to honour our history of storytelling in Australia. Yeah. And I was asking around for an Indigenous storyteller. People, oh, you can go here and you can ask there. And, and I was sitting in the audience at Generation Women and Vanessa was there that night. And this was, I think, back in November. Right, right. It was either the November or December show. And it was the last one before Christmas, that's right. So it must have been very early in December. And I heard her and I knew... I, I said this on the night of my show that that voice was the one I wanted. Yeah. And it was just, she was very calm. It was just beautiful. It was an amazing voice. And mm. she told an amazing story on, on the night. Some people yeah. have a gift, don't they? Well, I, I, I think they do. Uh, it's just magic to listen to really master storytellers mm. and with the guild we were going to have a, an international conference which we have every two years and so we bring these wonderful storytellers from all over the world and we were going to have it in june and of course we had to cancel it but hopefully we're going to have it um next year in june next year and all the tellers that were coming to do workshops and to do the concerts, um, they've all said, yes, I'll come back and do it. It'll be bigger and better than ever. Oh, I think it will be fabulous. Uh, our keynote speaker, Jan, forgotten her last name, but uh, she is from the UK. She's a Trinidadian, I think, but lives in Scotland. So she has that Scottish accent oh beautiful wonderful wonderful um keynote speaker and it's just transporting you if you hear a master teller mm. I, I could never claim that i was a master teller the master teller just transports you to whatever even if the the subject doesn't interest you they're they're able to engage you and that's what i would love to be able to do 
sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. It's a hit and miss with me. I but, think I need yeah. to come to your master storytelling event next year. Well, do come. We, we would love you to come. Oh, I'd love to come because I've only really just discovered storytelling and producing this event just oh, made my heart sing. No, I felt fantastic producing it and watching the reaction and having mm. having the audience come up to you at the end. Sorry, I'm getting, I get emotional. Um, just <laughs> saying, yes, just saying how so many of them came and said how it changed their lives. And mm. even Stephanie's mother rang me the next day and we had a great chat and she was just, just so inspired, not just because her daughter was one of the storytellers, but it took her on a journey and yes. it was a journey I believe she wanted to take as well. So it was really, you know, when you can do that and you've, you know, as you know, you produce shows, when you produce something that adds so much benefit to someone else's life, that's the joy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Talking about producing, I produced um, last year in October a pantomime called The Gum Nut Girls Are Moving In oh. and I worked with another woman it was such a delight and, and the children just adored it. And I thought, oh, you know, this is lovely. This is lovely because what we incorporated, because I worked with another woman who was also a fabulous storyteller. And um, so we had an overarching story about the Gumnut girls who were sisters who were moving back into their family home and one's messy and one's um, neat and tidy. So... Sounds and like my out of that um, <laughs> fell stories like the ant and the grasshopper and two old goats trying to go across a narrow bridge and the big, fat, enormous turnip. So those stories just sort of fell out. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old grandson, and he came, and I was a bit worried that this might have been far too, too sophisticated for him. But he was so fascinated by it he did not move and he's still talking about it and that's we did it in October. That's the power of story. Yeah. Oh, you know, the history of storytelling, as, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, it's the way of communication. Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's the oldest um, form of communication mm. um, and that's how people learn of their history in you know way back when is yeah. just through the art the art of oral storytelling and then after that the writing and then the printing press and all those sort of and then books and things but it all started out by telling the storyteller would come and tell the story of what was happening in the world it's such an ancient art you mentioned pantomimes your generation my generation we remember pantomimes do you want to talk about a bit of the history of pantomimes? Well, I think the history goes back a long way. This was, again, pantomimes also informed the children of the right and wrong yep. and through sheer entertainment, mm. through, oh, look, he's behind you, the, you know, the old tricks. We used all, all those old tricks with the gumnut girls. Oh, she's behind you. No, she's not. You know, I've looked around, no, she's not around, that sort of thing. And yeah. these were entertaining the children. Well, it's probably started with uh, the Punch and Judies. And I remember mum taking us to pantomimes and 
was it the Tivoli? No, what was the place in, there was a place in the city we used to go to see pantomimes. It might have been the State Theatre. Yeah, there was one around the State Theatre as well. And I can remember, you know. All the capital, yeah. Yeah, I can remember going to those and it was, you know, a lot of fun. And we used to get dressed up. And something you said before about, when you were talking about the retirement villages, I'm digressing back here and putting on the hat and whatever. I distinctly remember mum taking us to the city one day and you got dressed up and it was like a weekday and the stiletto shoes, the the stiletto got caught down a grate. Oh, (laughs) yes. And I was like, we walking around and trying to, had to get the shoe off and I can remember (laughs) the whole scene of getting the shoe off and I was probably under 10 and we're all dressed up in our Sunday best sort of thing and the hat and the dress and then getting this shoe out of the grate and ruining a shoe, which in those days you didn't have shoes like we have, you know, shoes these days. We've all got too many clothes and whatever. You had your Sunday best and your best shoes and your best handbag and your best hat. And mum had usually made the dresses and, and I, I just laugh about that. Just when you said that before, for the retirement villages I started laughing inside because that scene just came into my head (laughs) very easy to do I remember they did I I cannot even imagine these days even wearing heels even a little heel I could not imagine doing it and yet we did because I remember in my day it was the mini skirt oh the minis. Remember the minis? Oh, I love it. I'll tell you a story about minis, yes. Well, I must say that Sue and I always said that by the time we go to the nursing home, <laughs> there'll be people coming to entertain us and they'll tell us about uh, the Rolling Stones, the mini skirts, and then we always say, yes, I remember that. I remember wearing a mini skirt. <laughs> Christine, I was in year 12, 11, well, my last two years of school, which were, they weren't that then. They were called fifth and sixth form. The school I went to, we had a white shirt and we had a little navy skirt. And I can remember some of my skirts were probably from my, I was very slim then, from my waist to just below my underwear line, were probably only about, I'm going to go eight inches. I understand inches. Uh, Yeah, but they were so short. And I just laugh, like you wouldn't put that on now obviously mutton dressed up as lamb it would be a real well I I still have photos of that because I was over in England at the time when I left for England I went on a ship and it took eight weeks and my hems were probably calf length by the time I got to England they were right up to my neck (laughs) did you just trim them off a bit more every day yeah but you had to wear very long boots I remember oh very long boots so the, the gap was about this big between oh. the boot and the, and the edge of the skirt. <laughs> and, the bo- and the box pleats school tunic. Oh, we yes, had that. I that. And we used to just talk the skirt, the top yep. of it, over the yep. belt. So you walked yep. out with it all in one length and you got outside the front door and you hitched it all up. And then you had your school blazer on in winter, which was actually longer than the dress you had on. I know, yes. Oh, honestly, yeah. we laughed. I mean... <laughs> Well, yeah. they're the things. They're the things that I suppose. Well, from my age, if I was in a in, in a nursing home or a retirement village, and someone came and did the same show that that Sue and I were doing, that's what we would talk about, I guess. Yeah, it's so wonderful to talk to someone that's so vibrant like you are, 
and interested in stories. Have you, have you ever put any of your stories into a book? No. Do you know that I, um, I've always said as an actor that I, I never wrote anything. I was always the interpreter of the writer. But sometimes, I, lately, I've been writing my own stuff now. And uh, look, I don't put it in a book, no. But if I, like with Generation Women, it's sort of bringing those memories and I do start to write now. But I'm not a writer. I'm, I'm an interpreter of other people's work. Um, and even when I do a stand-up, it is, I suppose, a, a writing in a way, but things come to me fairly quickly. So sometimes, I, you know, I have a... I have a, a structure and yeah. things sort of fall in between those structures. And sometimes I'm thinking, oh, golly, where did that come from? Is it a personal structure that you've worked out that works for you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. So it's your own style. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it was something that um, Sue and I devised too. So every time we did a new program, we had that structure. We knew where we were going. We knew at the beginning, the middle and the end. But in between that, when we got to do the show, whatever happened, whatever fell out, fell out. <laughs> because, you, do, you know, I mean, storytelling with children, you have no idea what they're going to come up with. So you've got to be very aware of what you've, you've been given. And it's like uh, gold sometimes yes. with the children and also with any audience. Yes. You know, I allow them to talk to me because I like to improv. You mentioned something very early in the interview. You mentioned the eyes being able to see and how important are your senses as a storyteller and engaging with the audience? Very, very. I'm constantly aware of where the audience is and how they're reacting so I can switch. I have that somebody had filmed of me, uh, Sue and I actually, because we were what you call tandem tellers. Most storytellers tell on their own. Yes. Sue and I told tandemly, oh, which wow. was great. And, you know, and as we got older, it was great because if we'd forgotten where we were, the other person would remind us and pull us back. So there are not, not an awful lot of tandem tellers in the world, but there are some. So if I do it on my own, I like to impro. Yeah. I like to impro within that structure that I've, I've written. It might take you on to another tandem, but then you have to pull yourself back. But, yeah, I'm, I, I like to impro. For me, a lot of people have asked, could I interview them from the, me in the studio and them on the phone? And I've never done it. Because this is, yesterday was the first Zoom podcast I've done. You're my second. Because my eyes yeah. and my ears yeah. are the two things that are working most of all. Yeah. And my pen. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I can't, uh, I can't interview well if I can't see the person and yeah. see... I don't know. It's just, it's a thing for me. I just really find I get the best out of the person in the room if they're there yeah. with me. Yeah. And, and I've found this quite okay doing a Zoom like this. 
it, at least it's, it's better than not having you there. It's at least I have a visual. Well, yeah. Mm. It's the next best thing, isn't it? It's the next best thing. Yep. You took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> that sounds um, like a song. Oh, really? Yeah. Should we write that? <laughs> <laughs> isn't, that isn't it amazing how music takes you right back um, to memories? My brother and sister and I, as we got older and got married, we used to have a lot of uh, big parties and the neighbours would come in. We'd have these wonderful parties and jazz was, was always playing oh. in the background. It was always jazz. Have to be in the seventies. Um, that was the thing. It was yeah. like in the sixties. It was the Beatles, because I remember we used to dance yes. away to that. And then as we got sophisticated, jazz came in. But music sometimes evokes a lot of memories. Yeah. In nursing homes and retirement villages, music and dance. Um, well, music is, the, is the, music is the last thing that sort of disappears mm. in their in their memories and that's why our shows always had a, I know we did a lot of talking but we also brought songs in that they would remember yeah and um we used to find some of the residents who were in those sort of bath chairs you know those yes, yes. things um and they were there and you know that you know their end was was fairly soon yeah. but that you could see their feet yeah, just moving. Yeah, just like it was lovely, and you could come up and just give them a big bit of a squeeze, and and, yeah. and you know, and they liked that touch. They liked that. They loved the touch. The connect. That's the connection. Yeah. Look, Christine, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the Aging Fearlessly Radio and podcast, and I love talking about storytelling with you and. I can't wait to catch up with you again. So would you like to say goodbye to everyone? Yes, well, I would. And thank you so much, Karen, for having me and, and letting me talk about the world of storytelling. And I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and I hope your listeners found some information for them. Thank you so much. And that's the end of our show today. So until next time. We'll meet again. We'll meet again. Don't know where or when, but we mm, will. We definitely. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, ageing is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in your eye. It's not all nine to five. It's a wonderful life. Let's go and climb mountains
Let your heart be alive. 